that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good Trash Genre Cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast. People gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. As we continue with our Netflix November marathon, we look at a uh, little Jason Siegel, Robert Redford film called The Discovery. Well, hey, let's not leave Rooney Mara off the table. Oh, and Rooney Mara as well. Um, it's an interesting documentary about the history of the Discovery Channel and uh, why people love to watch sharks. And uh, we're very, very... Shark, sharks are good. Sharks are very important. So let's go ahead and identify the voices uh, speaking to you here from the Good Trash Media Network. To my left, sir, who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and you don't go on vacation without looking at the brochure. That is an excellent point, sir. On the recliner, could you identify yourself as well? My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, you want to hold hands till we fall asleep? Um, I always do. Uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and the question I have for you, gentlemen, is top or bottom? And uh, very, very glad. You know. Yeah, I do know. <laughs> what type of bunk beds? Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's a bunk I don't bed. think the listener does. <laughs> <laughs> if they haven't seen the movie. I'm assuming they didn't watch The Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a fair point, because uh, let me tell you, we're going to have to talk a lot about this movie, and uh, we're going to have to avoid some things. This is my warning to you, dear listener, if it's the first time you're tuning into The Good Trash genre cast you may or may not know that this is an analysis show not a review show and that does mean that we'll have to give some spoilers in our review if you have not seen the film potentially quite a few but here's what will happen we'll have a uh, synopsis in the voice of the cinema and our thumbs and thumbs thumbs up thumbs down reviews uh which or may whichever thumbs thumbs reviews if thumbs, you want to do that thumbs or no thumbs reviews yeah our, our amputation or prosthesis reviews after which point um we will uh we will try to have no spoilers at all two pirate hooks are <laughs> this movie needed 100 percent more pirates but um yeah why not you can make that argument for a lot of movies <laughs> I think that's probably true. Um, we'll play a game which might involve mild spoilers of this film or films of its orbit uh, or its, uh, that its satellites about. I'm trying to use an astronomical metaphor that's just not working. Not for going me right anywhere. Now. Keep moving. So we're going to keep going right on to the part of the show where we get down to business, and that is our analysis, and that will have some spoilers. You have been warned. So without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's hear that synopsis, please. Two years after the afterlife is scientifically proven, a man attempts to help a young woman break away from her dark past. I really don't feel like it's much about that. No, I don't either. No, Um, no. no. I mean, the first half is, yeah, that's after the uh, afterlife is proven, but it's really not really about their relationship so much. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm not happy with that. That's okay, though. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the movie. Let's find out if we're happy with it. I go to you first in recliner, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, what say you regarding uh, your thumbs-up, thumbs-down review of The Discovery? I think there are things to like about The Discovery, and I'm going to focus on those as much as I can. Uh, because I think this is probably going to skew mostly negative. Because I think, I think this is a movie where it's very easy to see the negatives. Because when a film intentionally is asking you to... M- ask questions right when one of the key characters is is a skeptic um to such a a large extent that that's a defining character trait that they have as the protagonist it's hard for the audience to not also have that mindset 
when the audience has that mindset, it is very easy to be annoyed by plot holes and things that don't make sense. And there are some of those things in this film. And that's going to hurt this movie a lot just because of Jason Siegel's character. So with that said, I want to say some nice things about the movie. Uh, I think the production design of this is great. Um, without getting too spoilery, part of the contraption that uh, features into the, um, the climax of the film um, so uh, this house that Robert Redford, uh, Jason Siegel's character's father, who discovered the afterlife, is now continuing his work in secret because he feels responsible for finding out what the afterlife is. Um, so they've moved into this giant old camp of some kind that's in this mansion. It looks great. Uh, and there's all these you know, machines and stuff inside the house that look a little dated for you know current day inside of this mansion that's even older. So it's got this really kind of cool look to it. Um, I don't I understand and accept the color palette of this film. I wish it was a little, popped a little bit more, honestly. Um, the seaside town they're in, every shot in the film just kind of looks like it's drenched in fog. And I don't always love it, but I like it at times. Um, but the the contraption that features into the climax that they're using for this research looks awesome. Um, so the, that's a really great look. And that really, I mean, it's the scene of the movie, the shot of the movie. Um, is uh, one featuring Jason Siegel and that contraption towards the end. And for me, like that, that shot alone, I was like, Oh, that was really cool. So, you know, there are things to like, um, I like Jason Siegel's performance. Um, I'm not quite sure what he's doing sometimes. Uh, but overall I really like his performance. Um, and I like Rudy Mayer's performance. I like their performances together. I think what the film struggles with at its core is it can't decide it's at two minds of itself. At one hand, it wants to be this love story between those two characters. And the moments where it leans into that work pretty well when it actually leans into those. When it leans into the more existential questioning things, it does a real disservice to the relationship stuff that they're trying to write because it makes both of the characters look less real, less less lived in, less interesting. Um, their love story makes less sense when it's leaning into the more questioning aspect of this film. Uh, and there's a good movie here somewhere that did a good job of marrying those two movies that it, that it is at the same time. If, if it had found a way to stitch those together a little bit more cohesively and find a central question about love and relationships and, you know, what does that mean? You know, have a question that the, the Charlie McDowell, uh, the, the director of this film, um, did a movie called The One I Love. A couple of years back, this and you know this, the discovery is a, a 2017 release for Netflix. The one I love, which she did a few years back, I think like 13 or 14, um, presents a very simple question: How do you be the best version of yourself to your partner? Right, and and that's a very interesting question, one that you can really mull over. It's a very simple refinement of the the thesis of the film. Right, with this film, I don't know what what's the culmination what is the synthesis what is the easiest boiling down of what this movie is trying to get at and i don't know and i don't know that the movie does and i think that's its biggest weakness but overall i think there's there's things to like all right thank you very much for that mr dalton stewart mr arthur gordon what say you in terms of your thumbs up thumbs down review i I'm, i think i agree with dalton i think uh it, it presents some interesting ideas and it doesn't really know how to fully carry them through as you were saying or, or marry them as well um like you i'm, I'm hit or miss on siegel uh, for the most part, I think he's pretty solid. There are a couple of scenes where I feel like he's doing a dramatic from uh, from How I Met Your Mother. Um, his, I just wanted performances the Muppets to come in. And they never did. That would have been a uh, well, much it, more interesting movie. And I'm not carrying any of that baggage in, right? I really like yeah. him in Into the I do Tour, too. Yeah. Uh, it, which is a very dramatic oh, I like film. him, too. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's, I, 
I've heard I heard it said um, Adam Kempinar uh, from uh, Film Spotting said that he was really miscast, and I don't know that I would go that far. Yeah, but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, uh, and so, uh, but uh, yeah, like you said, I think the the relationship with the Rooney, the chemistry they have is really good. I think uh, Redford's doing a pretty decent job. Uh, the the brother, I'm not sure his name, he does a good Jesse job. Jesse Plemons, I yeah. love me some Jesse Plemons. He's in. Uh, he's in Breaking Bad. Um, he was in. Um, he's the only good thing about that Black Mass movie. Okay, I'm trying to think what you might be. Remembering I don't know from who is it. I'm, I'm thinking of Ten Cloverfield Lane, but that's somebody else. Oh yeah, that's John Gallagher Jr. Oh, from the... uh, Hush. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I, but for the most part, I, this is one of those kind of quiet, talky, not really a genre genre films. Kind of a, a mumblecore. Uh, I kept thinking a lot of safety not guaranteed. It leans into that that uh, subgenre a bit. I I would say that's yeah. not unfair. Uh, but um, for the most part, it's it's okay. I mean, I'm not too keen on it. I watched it. I'm not mad. I watched it, but I probably won't see it again. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you very much for that. I think it is very clever, but also convoluted. I think all of its cleverness sort of gets revealed, and you see that all the pieces were well placed and that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I get bored. Just trying mm-hmm. to wait for it to figure itself out, you know, and totally fair. resolve the the riddle. But I do, again, I like the performances. They're fine. Um, I do think the coldness with which the cinematography is shot is a little overbearing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like I said, um, I, I feel that, you know, all the fog and those shots, I, I like it at times. It's pretty to look at. But you're right. I mean, it is a bit much. Yeah, just a little, little, uh, little too desaturated uh, on that. And of course, that is using contrast to other moments that the the, the light is a bit more um, less um, desaturated, so more saturated, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But uh, it's it's overall it's, it's it's fine. It's not a bad time. It does raise interesting questions. I mean, it does do that. I don't know if it resolves them very well, and uh, it still presents uh, a massive set of problems with other parts of conversation that. We're going to have them sure later, but you know, uh, otherwise, yeah, it's fine. It is my overall view as well. So there you go, dear listener. We're we're kind of meh on the movie, but we're not anti, and we're not mad that we watched it, any of us. And so there is your uh, no knowledge of our biases. Let's move on though and talk about how you can be part of the conversation with us via social media. Dalton, how's that happen? Well, Dustin, there's a great many ways. That's right. You don't have to wait to try and find us on the other side. You can find us here and now. That's going to be done using the Internet. Woo, that thing which connects us globally. Uh, we can be found on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, that is the the flagship means of uh, talking about what we're doing over here on this network, not just the Good Trash Genre cast. Uh, but questions general and specific, hit us up at good underscore trash on Twitter over on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash GTM as in Good Trash Media. Uh, last but not least, it would mean a lot if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this show on uh, iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcasts. Um, and any of our other shows. We only have one other show that's regularly airing right now, uh, but that would be The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. So, uh, you know, a little uh, inter- network plugging happening in the in this moment so go do that uh put that in your ears if you like the show um, what we're doing with uh films that would not be discussed in a film studies course they're doing with uh christian rock music which uh is a is an interesting and silly thing i know to say out loud but trust me they're doing something over there so go check out the praise down with heath and alex that's the, the final way that you have to support us all righty well enough of this guys i think it's time to play the game time to play the game Time to play the game! <laughs> 
That's right, and we're back with our game this week, which is our favorite existential films. That's right, favorite existential films brought to you by The Discovery. The Discovery, it's a film about life and death, and here are some other films that are also about life and death and existence. So there you go. I think it's pretty on the nose what we're doing right here, right now. So let's just go ahead and go down. Let's just do uh, our list um, roundtable style as we normally do. So what is your first selection, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Uh, My first selection is another 2017 film with Rudy Mara, actually, and it is A Ghost Story, um, which uh, came out earlier this year. I really like A Ghost Story. A bunch, guys. Um, It might very well end up being one of my very favorite films of this year. Uh, I just think the film has a really strong point of view and is saying some things that uh, I I really jibe with. Um, It's a David Lowry film, the guy that brought us Anthem Body Saints, also with Rimara and uh, Pete's Dragon from last year. Um, It it is a meditation of time and existence and the afterlife. And um, I know what you're thinking. Isn't that the movie where Casey Affleck wears a bedsheet? Hey man, Casey Affleck's barely in this movie. If that if, if that throws you for a loop, I get it. Um, I, I don't blame you. Um, he's barely in the movie. You're mostly looking at ghost, and that ghost is a bedsheet with eye holes. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a weird film. It's an intentionally obtuse and inaccessible film. There's a whole scene where Rooney Mara just eats a giant pie. She just eats the whole pie in grief. And um, yeah, at, at times it's easy to get annoyed with the movie, but I promise it's doing some really great stuff. So just hang with it appreciate how long shots go for uh but uh, i i think it's doing a lot of really interesting things getting at some issues that this film the discovery is trying to get at and um yeah we'll talk more later i i'll guess i'll leave it at that a ghost story Alrighty, what's your first pick mr arthur gordon uh my first pick is going to go to a movie i just recently watched and i mentioned i believe last week uh but it is the big chill um, uh, yeah. from 83 uh because i have just moved into my 30s and it's time to reevaluate what life is and this group of friends gets together uh following uh, a suicide of one of their other friends to uh spend a weekend together and just is it the big chill or is it the big sleep the big chill big chill the big sleep is the noir film yeah. oh okay yeah right my brain just did a thing sorry yeah, dustin's really confused <laughs> I, my world yeah, just yeah that's the humphrey bogart movie yeah, yeah. Okay. this is the this is the jeff goldblum glenn close film yes um, okay but, Humphrey uh, Bogart's not in it. No, not that I recall. He is um, already dead. Yes, he is definitely chill. Um, but uh, it's it's a movie where uh, these these thirty somethings get together to uh, see where they were, see where they've gotten to, and just kind of figure out where life has uh, taken them and what they're about. And I think that speaks to uh, where I'm at in life, and I think it speaks to the bigger questions of life. And I think it is uh, it's it's one that gets you thinking. Alrighty, well now I feel weird about my next pick because mine's about a middle-aged businessman who, and I don't feel like I'm at all middle-aged <laughs> as of yet. Um, but it's uh, <laughs> buddy, you're in them deep threes. Uh, I don't want to talk about this, but we're going to move on. And uh, this is what I want to say: is uh, it's a Kira Kurosawa's uh, film Ikiru. Okay, uh, yeah, Kenji Wantanabe um, is the name of the uh, star of the film, and uh, he uh, realizes perhaps that he's going to die, although maybe he doesn't, and just decides to take joy out of the the small things in life. It's beautifully shot, black and white film. Uh, one of Kurosawa's uh, drama films, so it's not one of the samurai picks. So this guy is uh, the bald-headed samurai from uh, Seven Samurai. Oh, I know. love that guy. And he does a very, very good job. That guy's great. Sort of meek and mild 
businessman who again just just needs to find happiness and uh, it, the film culminates in his death and people uh, being inspired by the last part of his life and they want to go and live better as a result so it's a good thing in many many ways in terms of all things existential and I recommend it very highly I go on now back to Mr. Dalton Stewart what is your number two pick my number two pick is 1955's The Night of the Hunter directed by Charles Lawton nice the only film he ever directed uh, starring Robert Mitchum um, as uh, the uber, uber spooky Henry, Henry, Harry, Harry Powell, Harry Powell. Um, it, it's a, a film that is, you know, decidedly um, shares the trappings of what would go on to, and uh, that was a dumb way to say this. Sometimes your brain stops working, kids. Um, it's very influential on horror cinema, but it would be hard to call this a horror movie. Um, it's more it's of a crime thriller, uh, but definitely does some things that you would see done later on um, by horror film. It, it engages with grief and death in ways that I find really, really interesting, and it focuses more on um, how children experience grief uh, and loss and uh, tribulation and, and pain. Um, and I find that a very interesting way to engage with these really great questions that perplex us all um, is through the eyes of children. Um, and I think Night of the Hunter does a really, really good job of that. It says a lot of interesting things about families and uh, how we make them and how we build ourselves back up uh, when we lose everything. Um, again, a really great film that you would not expect to have such interesting things to say about life and loss because it is, at the end of the day, uh, about a serial killer who tries to uh, uh, steal a the gold stashed by his cellmate uh, by wooing and murdering his widow and his children. I mean, that is the setup of the film and ends up going some really interesting places. So uh, The Night of the Hunter is my, my second pick. Nice selection. I appreciate that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your number second pick? Well, we're going to visit a little town in Belgium and that is in Bruges. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, which is just a, it's, you know, we we played that game of places we want to wait to die. And I think Bruges may be one of them. It's, Bruges is good. It's a uh, interesting look at just what life is and how we got there and waiting for that 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 day to come and how uh, we choose to live with the the mistakes we've made yeah and 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 coping with that and trying to move past those mistakes and uh i think it's just a rock solid film to uh to kind of meditate on fucking bruges i love that selection arthur because the mcdonough's again rear their ugly head as i select calvary yeah baby one of of my favorite existential films thanks mcdonough brothers yeah they're 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 thinking about those things um it's about a catholic priest who is uh, in the confessional booth and the confessor reveals to him that he intends to murder the priest in seven days and he has seven days to get his house in order so to speak and uh the film ends as the film ends i will leave it at that but um interesting uh, discussion of not only what it means to live life well but also some discussion of violence and reactions and, to said violence and quite a different film than uh the follow-up war on everyone that we talked about a few months yeah. back a much much different film i oh gosh what is that mcdonough brother's name john michael john michael john michael, john michael thank you uh good good pull arthur um man all this McDonald talks get me real excited about three billboards, guys. Yes, it's going to be good. So, all right, moving on to a number last. Uh, your number last pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My number last pick is a curveball, but hang with me. It is John Wick. Um, I okay. think the Keanu Reeves vehicle um, about uh, shooting bad guys in the head for killing your dog does some really interesting things. Also, with- it provides a great sequel to All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yes, uh, and it has its own great sequel from this year. But I want to focus on the first one. I think the second one um, also is doing some things kind of interestingly with um, 
death as a process. Um, there's some interesting things there, but I think with the first John Wick film, uh, grief is is really kind of beautifully tackled um, in ways that can only be done through Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves. I, I mean, I don't know how, what other way to say it. Um, by being a, a dedicated physical performer and doing some crazy badass stunts um, and mostly acting with his body, um, when he does talk about what he's feeling, it makes it very impactful and very interesting and powerful. And when um, John gets to emote in that film, I think it's really specific and, and vulnerable and beautiful um, be, because uh, Keanu, as a performer, spends so much time in this film, you know, doing badass stuff. Uh, but when he's not, it's he's being very quiet and kind of keeping to himself and, and leaving, leading uh, and living a very reserved life and, and trying to, you know, find a way to cope with his grief. And um, instead of actually doing that, he uses the opportunity to go punch people in the head. Um, so I, I think that uh, it's a film that really does try to get at something when it's not just, you know, shooting people in the knees and in the head. Fair enough. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your number last pick? I am going to go with uh, Tim Burton's masterpiece, Big Fish, uh, ah. about uh, the son who has to uh, deal with his father and uh, reconcile that relationship and understand who his father truly was through all of these stories that he told that uh, could never be believed, uh, these these larger-than-life tales that he could never fully understand and, and having to... Uh, come to grips with who his father was by understanding those stories and, and seeing the man he truly was beneath that and, and how they were truly tied together. Uh, I think it's a beautiful film. I think it's easily Tim Burton's best movie. Um, that's uh, it, it resonates, uh, and probably more so to this day than, than before. And so um, I'm going to go with that one. All right. Good not, not a common pick for Tim Burton's best film, but I, I, I like Big Fish quite a bit, Arthur. It's actually one of my uh, favorite Tim Burton movies. Yeah. I'm a fan for sure. Uh, my number last pick is Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker. Uh, okay. Which is a... Uh, not Solaris. Not Solaris. I, I mean, now Solaris does deal with some existential things, I think, in, in similar kinds of ways. But it's more of a... Uh, uh, meditation on consciousness mm -hmm. and uh, there is something of that going on with stalker as well but it is about trying to find these uh there's an area called the zone where you can really understand the fabric of the universe uh so to speak and uh, it makes interesting use of color and uh, sepia tone black and white photography and just raises a series of very very fascinating questions beautifully beautifully shot uh it is an obtuse film in many many ways but it is absolutely worth your time and you will think about living life and doing so well um, if you are engaging with that film. So it is a recommendation for me very, very strongly. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our picks for our game of the week, which is our favorite existential films. We're sure that you probably have some favorite existential films, and we'd love to hear about your hooks and your city slickers and those kinds of things or whatever it is that you happen to have picked. And uh, you may do that via those magical means of social media already mentioned. But enough of this, guys. It's time to get down to business. And we're back here to talk about the discovery in terms. That's a funny way to talk. Uh, that you just did. Uh, 
what, what oh, I had like the yeah. mic. Yeah, I was you like, were doing was, a funny thing. I was like dropping the microphone in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. I liked it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, that, that kicky music means we are going to do some analysis on the discovery. Discovery is about the afterlife, as we've already mentioned. Uh, Robert Redford's character has discovered definitive proof that there is indeed something after death. That the brain waves your continue. consciousness goes somewhere else, and uh, as such, there is a rash of suicides that follow. Because why bother with this stuff if you can just check out and do it again? Over four million in two years. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's yeah. Like, what three percent of the planet? Yeah. That's I mean, that's, that's ec- epidemic level of uh, suicide. That, that is a significant <laughs> population number. And uh, and so it is a question of why do we live? Um, what does the afterlife do regarding whether or not we make choices to live or not? Uh, what do our choices matter if there is a 2.0 stage to ourselves? And all of those kinds of things. And I, I mean, there, there's so much metaphysics that we can get into. But I guess I want to talk, first of all, just in terms of formalism and of structure. Because I do want to think a little bit about how this is a film that definitely um, is not um, all that um, readable at first. It is intentionally withholding bits of exposition so that we can... Uh, you know, take part of the mystery. And so I, I guess really a question of just its effectiveness in doing those kinds of things and, and, and hiding its secrets and then revealing them. What do you guys think? I, 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 I wish it did a better job of knowing what was an interesting answer, I guess. Um, because now that we're in spoiler territory, we, we will say that all that we are shown of the afterlife is there's some, amount of cyclical living right you're restarting at important moments of your life and trying to make a difference when you didn't or when you could have made more of a difference um and that is an interesting question i almost wish they'd spent more time with that question uh because the questions the film actually asks are more plot focused um so the questions that it's hiding are really just What's going to happen next? Not, yeah. What does this mean about uh, Will, the character played by uh, Jason Siegel? What does this mean about Isla, the character played by Rini Mara? What does this mean about Dr. Harbour, uh, the Rod Redford character? What does this mean about, I can't remember Jesse Plemons' character's name, but what does this mean Toby. about... Toby. Toby, you're right. What does it mean about these characters? What does it mean about their relationships? What does it mean about their, their stakes uh, in, in this plane of existence? What does it mean... The movie doesn't really spend much time with that. And I think that's the problem, Dustin, is those are the questions it should be hiding and asking about. Instead, the questions it's hiding and asking about are, what's this machine going to do in the third act when we turn it on? Yeah, or or the more sort of on-the-nose question of why is it that um, Jason Siegel recognizes feels like Rooney Mara's character's familiar. Yeah. Right? Which are, again, very, very kind of plotty kind of things. Yeah. Rather than the big metaphysical, existential uh, sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of that. So, okay, well, I, I wanted to just talk about something formally at all with it because we're going to talk a lot about the afterlife, I think, at this point. So the question then is, does it seem to you guys that the film suggests that if everyone knew you would go somewhere else, everyone would just start offing themselves? Do we think that holds water, and what else might we think about that? I, I, there's still that unknown element, so I don't know. I mean, I mean, people that are, you know, at, at a point in their life where they feel like that's their, you know, best chance, you know, to, you know, to end their pain or, you know, whatever, and maybe get a second chance. They still don't know, you know, what they're getting into that could be better or could be worse. So I don't know that. I don't know, and you know, in, in in real life, if this were to happen, I don't know if that would be such a big thing. Like, I mean, 
you'd probably have some culty types that may or yeah. some, you know some like things like that rise up but i don't i don't know like i don't know for me if i if you know i you know i personally do believe the afterlife whatever but you know if i if the afterlife i knew was just this kind of giant question mark you know what I don't know that that would motivate me any more or less. I, yeah, I tend to, I guess, I tend to agree because human beings have believed in an afterlife as a majority of the population to like ninety eight percent for most the existence of human beings. You know, as far as like a recorded culture of human beings. Yeah, and this is we're we're going to talk outside the the bounds of organized and uh, traditional religion. We're just as a as a belief that human beings tend to have um, all the way back to, you know pre uh, pantheon you know understandings of mysticism and spirituality you know before there were even gods there were people trying to understand the universe and understand what happens after you stop moving around yeah and everyone sort of assumed that there was always something there and there were not mass uh, suicides then and so i don't know i think it puts a, a certain burden on the science in a weird way, that if science were to prove it, then everybody would sort of accept this as, and I'll use religious term, gospel. And uh, as such, uh, they would then just check out and, and, and go off and do the thing. And I, d- I don't think that really makes any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, scientists are pretty fucking sure that uh, we're, you know, making the planet hotter. Um, and people go about their business anyway. So people ignore what they want to ignore. They accept what they want to accept. That's how we behave. And I think that's a more interesting question is how would this knowledge affect how people live their lives? Because I don't know. I think there would probably be a statistically significant uptick in suicides. I don't think it would be that big. Um, and I, I think that's a big pill the film is asking you to swallow. That's why I brought yeah. up Jason Siegel's character being such a skeptic. Yeah. It makes me skeptical. It makes me go, yeah. mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this holds water. Uh, people got lives they got to fucking live, man. Um, and regardless of what comes next. And that's the more interesting question to me, right? Is the afterlife in this film as a metaphor for how do you decide to go on a new journey of your life, a new phase of your life, a new... How how do you choose to leave something that you know and go something go somewhere different and scary and new, right? And that's one of the fundamental questions of just being a person and being alive and trying to make sense of who you are, right? That's a better existential interest existentially interesting question because it's something we have the answer to. We actually do know what happens when, you know, we can as people pick up and move somewhere else. And that's a more interesting question for this to be wrestling with, right? Because it grounds it a little more in, in, in the stakes. And that's my take on it anyway. Do you think this film works better if you sh- you take exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but you shift the narrative to Isla's point of view? Ooh, I think it would be a lot better, yeah. Uh, I, w- I would like more of that, I think, too. Yeah, I think it would be much more... Mm, I, I think under- there's more stuff I understand there. the choice of Siegel's character being the surrogate, being the son of the scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's there's a way in which that works. But I think it would... Um, it, it, maybe not to just to, to move it entirely from Siegel to her, but maybe more emphasis on her. Mm-hmm. It's only an hour and 42 minutes. I mean, this could stand to be a little two-hour-plus movie, I think, as far as its subject matter. It could have gone longer. Yeah. Flesh out some things. Yeah, the yeah. people who are interested in this kind of movie are usually willing to sit down for a second, yep. so I think that's fine. Um, I want to make a left turn now, quite literally, and mm-hmm. bring up Karl Marx. <laughs> uh, and uh, his uh, discussion of religion, um, as he um, the, the, he's often misquoted as the idea that religion is the opiate of the masses, um, this idea that uh, he wasn't necessarily making a, a, an all-out critique of religion at this time. 
time, but rather he was saying that it was a thing that kept people from changing their circumstances because they had hope in an afterlife. They would not bother fixing things in the world right now because one of these days, by and by, when I die, I'll fly away, oh glory. And that's where it's going to all happen. And so they sort of left it at that. And that, that's his critique that he provides. And it seems like a McDowell's doing a similar kind of thing. It's like, now you know you're going to do that. Why bother staying, right? Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and bug out and check out. And I don't know, again, that that sort of viewpoint is necessarily the fairest way to understand the way human beings deal with those sort of broader existential things. Well, and I think that's what the film's trying to do, right? I think the film is trying to say just because you know you can get on by and by doesn't mean you should. You should try to affect positive change where you are because that is how you lead a fulfilling life. That is how you you lead a life worth commenting on. You lead a life where you try to matter to other people, where you try to treat other people respectfully and with, you know, kindness. Uh, and that is what the characters in this film do. I will say that every, even, you know, emotionally kind of closed off characters like Isla, you know, she is decidedly less forthcoming early in the film for obvious reasons. She's kind of working through some stuff with the, the death of a child. Um, but th- that's why I do like the characters in this film, right? They, they, nobody in the film acts stupidly. I, I understand emotionally why characters do things, and that's part of what's frustrating, right? The film understands who these characters are well enough, um, and I think it understands what the more interesting question is, is how do you keep on and continue, right? When you know for a certain scientific certainty that there is something else, how and why do you continue to stay here? And that's an interesting question, but it just kind of drops the ball at times, I think. I, I, don't, I, I don't think it has that... that that Marxist touch you're talking about in terms of, I don't think it's critiquing um, an afterlife or religion in that capacity. I think what it's questioning is the human response to thinking about the afterlife. And I, I, I think the film does find some weight, right, in believing in an afterlife. What I think it finds weight in is knowing that this is still important. Because while the question of an afterlife is important, the question of what you're doing right now is just as, if not more important. Um, But again, I think it it gets lost in the weeds sometimes with, you know, the mystery of what is this recording that we have? Because we do early in the film get about like a, you know, two minute long clip of the afterlife. And I think the film gets lost too often in trying to figure out what that is. Yeah, I absolutely tend to agree. And it doesn't. I mean, I, I'm glad it doesn't get real didactic, you know. I mean, I, I really do sort of get bored with that. Life is worth living, you know. Yeah. It's for living kind of stuff. You yeah, know? Don't, I don't, I don't love that carpe diem kind of stuff, you know, that happens. And I mean, I've, I've seen those movies, and I am, um, I'm very frequently sort of caught up in them. But I, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't do that. But at the same time, if it's raising the very question, why do we bother kicking around? It, it seemed to me that it would want to more strongly say, "This is how you live well," mm. you know, and and not just simply like regrets and, about- and it walks up to that every once in a while yeah it walks up to how do you live well but then it doesn't really walk through it right and uh and so how does one you know prepare one's soul for the afterlife is almost the question that's being raised there um and, yeah. and yeah. W- which is a very very sort of religious way of framing it but it never really just it, it, again it's about preparing your soul for the next it's not necessarily so much about making things doing things well now uh, although again it doesn't start being about that until really well at the, the end, very yeah. end of the film and that's the thing that's frustrating is the film ends right when it's getting interesting right and let's just talk about this afterlife that's being thrown out here for us right it is an afterlife that when you die 
you go back to the moment where you made a choice that you regret and you get a do over. Right. Um, again, I, I guess I'll just ask this question. I have my thoughts on this. What do you guys think of this sort of, uh, again, sort of a weird kind of version of reincarnation, but it's almost like reincarnation in the same universe over and over again. You're still embodied in your next life. It's a choose your own adventure where you just go back to that. Yeah, that page right before the you, end. I should have fed the dragon. Darn yeah. it! Yeah. You live a time loop where it's like you're gonna keep doing this until you realize yeah. that the right thing to do is to feed that dragon. You're gonna keep doing this again and again, and that there's something interesting to that. There's something I don't know. I, I, I kind of like that. Oh, I don't really. I, I don't know. I think there's something to it because what it makes the entire your entire universe about is you. It's a solipsistic ah, error. There's nothing, there we go. There's nothing that exists but you. Now let me suggest this the moments that were changing were always about other people though they were about how what you did impact other people right philip the guy that died that apparently was kind of a dickhead the only thing he wanted to do was he wishes he had gone and said goodbye to his father and he wishes he had made up to his sister and like the rest of his family right but is, is that not for him though I, his dad's gonna so he could be at ease I, I think that's as long as it's about him he'll never do that right that's the whole point of this time because the the implication we get given uh were you know, while conscious and alive, um, Jason Siegel's character gets to go over to the other side, knowing every, like, being aware of our world and going into the next world. And that's kind of the message that he's given by Ella is, we've done this time loop a couple of times. This is the first time you've actually saved me and helped me, like, unpack this shit that I was not working through. It was about his ability to affect change in her life um, and her ability to affect change in his life. That's the, the relationship that they had was significant and that they affected change in each other's lives. So that's, he's, he's still the superhero though. Yeah. That, and again, that's where it gets fucked up. Oh, well, I, and I do think that it actually in some ways holds up a lot of actual, uh, spiritual or ghost, uh, folklore mythology, uh, which mm. kind of relies on the idea that the spirit, uh, has some sort of unfinished business that they have to keep reliving through a, uh, before they can be freed to move on. And uh, you, you you know, there are a lot of old uh, ghost stories about a ghost that would show up every night at mm. three or, you yeah. know, what, and they keep reliving this, their death or whatever it is until uh, this event unfolded that allowed them to uh, pass on. And yeah. I think that's, in a lot of ways, it's playing with those similar kind of uh, tropes of, of that genre. You're absolutely right. And I think um, that is such a touchstone in, in terms of, like, our understanding of the after like the, the way we ask questions about the afterlife culturally it is firmly rooted in that i think you're right and i think that might have something to do with it dustin it, what i think what you said arthur has something to do with what dustin was getting at is this kind of solipsistic idea of the afterlife as being about you and your life right um i think what arthur's point gets to is those are the questions we ask because it's the questions that we we're used to asking and we're not always thinking about the you know the third or fourth or fifth question right right and i guess i just would have been more happy with uh, the discovery being that and humanity is going to get the world right at some point yeah get our decision making right that we are going to you know get our act together like that would be this great you know sort of revelation i think in the film that would be very this world do your thing do your stuff now Mm -hmm. yeah because we we do we 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 never get to see those moments of you know 
how do the other people, how is everybody else's life impacted when we do make that right choice? You know, when he does stop her from going upstairs or when he does go see his father. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think that would be a a stronger film is if it did engage with that. Hey, this chance you had to make a difference. Here is what that difference would have been. Here is what you being a better person in that moment. Here's how it would have improved other people's lives. Here's, here's how you being kinder and more open in this one moment would have made a kinder, more open world. Um, and again, that's a much more interesting question, and I don't think it ever gets to that. And I think that speaks to your critique, Dustin. Yeah, and I mean, I, and it's part of an intellectual tradition. It makes some sense. I mean, if we're calling this film an existential film, I think we're doing the right thing. Yeah. For sure by doing that. And existentialism as a tradition, looking back to Camus and Sartre especially, they are always talking about being your one true authentic self, doing the thing that is true to who you are as a person. And that there is a sense in which Bobby Redford's uh, decision to work and ignore his wife really wasn't true to himself Mm -hmm. he is a man who cared desperately about his work but he did deeply love his wife as well Mm -hmm. and even though he at times got his priorities out of whack and did things out of all the various and sundry pressures that we experience when we need to perform especially in something like a research-based science grant-based kind of lifestyle that he's apparently living i mean i get why he's under those pressures and wants to do better i get the idea that jason siegel's character hears about this woman who kills herself and goes is that the woman i saw and, uh, I saw somebody clearly in pain, and I didn't make an effort to try yeah. and check on him. And that really wasn't me, but I mean, I was doing my thing. I was going about my life. I'm about to go, you know, meet my father again after he's basically sent the world in a suicide pack. You know, I get why he's, he gets why he's focused on that, but that wasn't really being true to his authentic self. Yeah. And so that's where that solipsism comes in again, is because that's the sort of, the, the, the one thing that you advocate for in the, the French existential tradition uh, just after World War II is what do you do that's really being true to yourself? How do you how can you avoid betraying yourself as an action? And I think that's a good starting place for an ethics, for a morality, is that, you know, this above all to thine own self be true, to go back to Shakespeare, who was a pre-existentialist by a few centuries, but um, to say, yeah, sure, that's the first thing. But it never, ever gets in this idea of a collective humanity, you know, that we're, we're at this together. And uh, that's where it becomes I, – I, it becomes this very sort of inwardly focused, uh, self-centered – it's not even a humanism. It's an egoism. There it is. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's that, absolutely right. That that sort of shapes its after afterlife. And and again, I mean, it's not like people who have, are of a religious bent don't practice the same sort of thing. I'm trying to get my uh, treasures in my mansion kind of stuff in mm-hmm. the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. or I'm myself trying to escape uh, the uh, the uh, the dukkha of uh, the cycle of samsara and those kind of things. If I'm doing Buddhism, the, all of that stuff makes sense, uh, but uh, that's. That's too little, and uh, that's where again Marxist critique uh, comes in. I think you know, and says, "No, we've we've got to think about something a little bit better here." All righty. Well, um, any other particular sort of niggling questions that you guys want to raise regarding this film? Nah, baby, that was a beautiful way to put a pin in it. Honestly, uh, um, <laughs> I feel happy. You know, I, I I think, you know, I I think we've we've wrestled with it. We we engaged with the material, and uh, we found it pretty but wanting. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, I like things about it. And I, I think you're right, Dustin, is that that is the step that it could have gone further and really been something a little bit more special. I, I do want to say before we move into the next uh, part of the show, because this will kind of feed into that, but I, I, I really feel that of these, what, four? Is this four that we've done or is this three? This will, this will be four, yeah. This is the fourth one we've done of these Netflix originals, and they're all pretty, eh. They're all, they've all been very, eh. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think so far the strongest has probably been Wheelman, honestly. Which I think is that really Gerald's surprising. Game are both 
yeah. be strong. I, I, and yeah, but for the most part, they've met a meh. Yeah. As an industrial historian, I do find this interesting, though. I think perhaps these uh, streaming platforms are providing an avenue for some of the most uh, uh, rich soil for film studies over the uh, studio period, which were the B films. Yeah. You know, film noir is B films. And uh, these are sort of that. They're, they're smaller budget. They're, they're just sort of churning them out. There's lots of them. There's a certain sameness to many of them. And I think perhaps after we get a little bit of a chronological distance uh, from them, we might be able to be, identify some patterns that might be interesting. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think uh, you're, you're right that it's fertile soil because hopefully if enough of these movies keep getting cranked out or keep getting acquired at film festivals, uh, maybe there'll be some real winners in there. Um, yeah. And again, none of these have been bad. Uh, well, no. What happened to Monday is pretty bad. Uh, I'll walk back from that. But they've all, even the even that one, which is not very good, there, there's something about it, right? There's a little something there. And I, I think the Discovery's got at least a little something going on. I think so, too. So we're going to move on to the last part of our show, which is uh, the making of a decision. Shelf for Trash, which in this case, since it's a uh, streaming platform-only kind of film that we're looking at, it's stream or pass, and then our else's or instead. I go to you first, Arthur. What do you say? Stream or pass, else or instead? I'm going to pass. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just I, I, you don't need to watch this one. I, I think there are more interesting existential movies about life and death out there and uh, kind of – uh, horror ones they're dealing, you know, maybe the original Flatliners could be more fun to watch. I mean, it may not be a great movie. Actually. Yeah, I, I did it, feel but... like we'd done this movie already when we yeah. done Flatliners. Yeah, and it's really fair. it's really fun because there's another movie with uh, Mark Duplass and all these guys kind of run in the same circles mm-hmm. with um, I think it's it's Olivia Wilde or uh, I can't remember. I, I get all which these movie is it? I, I can't remember what the, it, I can't remember what it's called, but mm-hmm. it's about uh, they. The girl dies, and they bring her back to life, and then she's kind of, like, possessed or something. Interesting. Uh, but it's got Mark Duplass, and I just thought it was kind of funny because they've all, they all kind of run in the same yeah. circles and got their starts together, I think. But um, anyway, uh, instead, though, I, I'm going to recommend three movies about cults, and I think I've done this before, uh, but I think it's a fun little uh, tie-in. Uh, the first is Martha Marcy May Marlene with Ooh. Elizabeth Olsen. Oh, good movie. Oh, which is super solid. Yeah, John Hawks in there, too. Yeah, really good uh, in that um, – also, Britt Marling, Sound of My Voice. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Britt Marling fan. She's uh, pretty good. Uh, and then finally, Faults uh, is also a Mary fun, Elizabeth Winston, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think those are three uh, really solid uh, cult-centered films with uh, three rock-solid uh, lady leads um, who just kill it. And I think those are all better than uh, the, the Discovery. I keep wanting to call it The Destination. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. That's fair. It's a final destination. Yeah, yeah those are uh, all really strong picks, my man. All Thank right. You. Well, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for, or, well, I guess, stream or pass, else or instead? I'm going to go ahead and grade on it. If we had done this a couple of weeks ago, I would have said pass. Uh, but now that we've – and I've, I've watched some other Netflix originals uh, separate from this marathon. Um, now grading on the Netflix original movie – curve i'm gonna go ahead and say stream if you're gonna watch a netflix original movie this is one worth watching because at the very least it is trying to engage with you know questions of existence and what it means to be a person and how to be a good person Uh, and i think that's worth something so i will go ahead and say stream with a caveat that we are saying stream this on the scale of what is streaming on netflix as original content so uh keep that in mind what should you watch with it um well these are all going to be better works but i think um the discovery is a good gateway, a good stepping stone to some of these these stronger stories. Uh, first of all, is that other 2017 release we mentioned earlier, a ghost story, um, also with Rooney Mara, um, and a lot. I, I don't want to talk a whole lot about it because I think 
it's not a plot heavy film by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a very experiential film. Um, it is very much a film like the stalker. You mentioned the Tarkovsky film. It is a film that is intentionally obtuse. Um, you know, but that's part of engaging with it, right? Is you have to engage with that kind of inaccessible material and, and really want to work with it and try to do the work that the film is presenting to you. Um, and I think that's what a ghost story has going on for it, that um, the discovery doesn't. The discovery is too literal um, and not um, – uh, it's not rooted in fantasy enough. It's not enough of a movie. It is too literal. It's going too much off what we experience in the real world. And I think a ghost story gets a little weirder and a little crazier and a little sillier and a little funnier um, and a little bit more bonkers and is the stronger movie for it. But The Discovery is a good stepping stone to a movie like – a ghost story. Um, I would also recommend a show that I know I've talked about on here before, but going ahead and take the chance. Going to go ahead and take the chance to mention it again, and that is HBO's The Leftovers, which I think does a better job of what the Discovery is trying to do. The Discovery is trying to present a heightened reality in which uh, mortality and grief are on the surface at all times, and that's what The Leftovers does really well. With uh, instead of you know an uptick of four million people committing suicide over the last two years, it just says three years ago two million people suddenly vanished without. Understanding, explanation, or pattern. Um, and so it creates a similar world to what the Discovery is trying to create, but does a better job of marrying that with a love story. Because at the end of the day, what Leftovers, the television series, does end up being about over three seasons is a love story in a world that is chaotic and unfeeling and uh, full of questions that have no answers and sadness and heartbreak. It's about building families and finding um the better the person that makes you want to be the best version of yourself right um and it marries that love story with those existential questions much more beautifully and honestly than i think the discovery can manage uh lastly we'll uh reference a movie from 2016 arrival uh which the denis villeneuve film uh with amy adams uh which is doing some of these uh, questions about time and if you know certain things, if, if you knew then what you know now, would you still do it? That kind of thing. I think Arrival does a much better job of engaging with those questions. So uh, a lot of thematically significant films, right, linked to, to, go, to not Ghost Story, uh, to The Discovery. I think they're all better stories. Um, but I will say this, that The Discovery is a good stepping stone to those better stories. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that. I am going to probably say... Yeah, stream it. It's it's the kind of movie on the, on the curve, on the curve, yeah. on the curve. But yeah, I like it well enough to be to watch it. I, I think also you gotta check out uh, Alex Proyas, uh Knowing, uh, starring Nick Cage. Really? Yeah, um, because it is again about this idea of choose your own adventure kind of stuff okay. and, and reevaluating decisions. And I think that's sort of interesting uh, way to uh, play with all of that. And I, I really I think the movie is a mess narratively, but I just love the visuals so much. So I, I say this every time I get a chance. What dreams may come, starring Robin Williams. Williams is a, a beautifully yeah, I know realized. You go, I know you kind of go to bat for that one. Uh, and again, it's it's an it's it's much more because of the eye candy than it is because of narrative. Mm-hmm. But I think if that was a three-peat, um, this film, that film, and that, you would have a good time. And then lastly, I would just throw out uh, just because I do think uh, the way in which we deal with trauma and grief itself is through story and how we find our way through that. Life of Pi um, is a film that's very very useful. Uh, for those kind of reasons, and we've all got a tiger named Richard Parker somewhere in the boat, and we need to find a way to deal with that tiger so it can go to bed. And uh, I find that to be an extraordinarily useful uh, way to uh, go at life. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our selections. Well, we've got one more uh, Netflix November pick coming down the pike. What is it, guys? That is going to be Bong Joon-ho's Okja, um, about uh, an adorable little pig. 
Yes. It's uh, Babe in the Big Babe. Ah, son of a bitch. Words are hard. Uh, babe, Pig in the City, um, but with Tilda Swinton saying the F word. A lot. Yeah. And so uh, good times will be had by all. We're looking forward to taking a look at that. And we're also looking forward to the conversation because whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's what happened to Monday or it's Okja, which I think is going to be a bit of a better film, it's all about the conversation. So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a production of Good Trash Media. For more info on all things Good Trash, head on over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is a supercut by our very own Arthur Gordon featuring music from Wonder Woman by Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer. And our outro music is Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. When I die in the name of gonna go to the place that's the